grateful that we get to open God's Word together uh, because there's nothing better. There's nothing better. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to uh, grab the one that should be in that rack right in front of you, if you just turn to page 61 in that Bible, you will find our passage today, Exodus chapter 20. And if, if you're a guest with us, uh, maybe you're even checking us out online, uh, we're so glad to have you. And we want you to know as we begin this message that we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God himself. We, we believe that this book is inerrant in the original manuscripts and then has been sovereignly preserved for us through the generations so that through the reading of this book and the illumination of his spirit, we believe that we can know God and we can love him, we can follow him, we can worship him, and we believe so much in the sufficiency of scripture that we don't think that what I'm about to say today matters at all. It really doesn't, unless it agrees with what God has said in his word. Uh, we want to collectively be a church that believes it, it doesn't really matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. So what the Bible says needs to become what we think. And, and if you come to that conclusion, just a warning, it significantly impacts the rest of your life. Uh, I, I was sharing the gospel uh, this week. Uh, with a friend of mine and someone who's trying to figure out, uh, you know, some of the real answers to deep, deep questions in life. And, and, and one of the things I said to him in that conversation is, is, if God wrote a book about himself, that's a pretty big deal. Right? Like that, that changes a lot, but don't just take my word for it. You have to come to that conclusion for yourself. But this is why I, I want you to see what God's word uh, says for yourself today in the book of Exodus. We want to be all about uh, God's word and, and knowing him and loving him and following him. We're, we're in a series uh, through the Ten Commandments, and it's been awesome. It's been awesome. I, I so appreciate our hunger for the truth of God's word, and I love being part of a community of believers uh, where the truth of God's word is working on our hearts and, and on our lives together. And, and our desire for this series has been that God's commands would reveal his character. We're learning about the character of our God and that our salvation would result in our submission. And, and so as we go through this series, I, I keep reminding us that for those of us who are in Christ, we're not under the law. The Bible says we are under grace. And that is good news because the revealed law of God was never intended to be the basis of our justification. It was never intended to be what we point to and say, look at how awesome I am, right? Look at, look at what I've done. I Look at how amazing I am. No, no, no. The, the law of God was intended to reveal our need for someone else to be righteous in our place. And so we are in the second, second section of these Ten Commandments. Uh, the first four commands dealt with our vertical relationship with God, and, and they were summarized by Jesus uh, as loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And, and the second set, section of commands deals with our horizontal relationships, our relationships with people. They were summarized by Jesus as loving our neighbor, anyone that we come in contact with, as we love ourselves. And of all the commands, this sixth one that we are going to be looking at today is the one that the vast majority of people look at and probably say, no problem. Like, this is like, I got this one. I, I, I got this one. I'm, I'm good. I'm good here. This, this is the bare minimum standard for someone to justify themselves. So much so, I, be, I bet you could finish this sentence because you might hear someone say, yeah, yeah I'm not perfect. Uh, but, but at least I've never, I've never killed anybody. <laughs> never done that. 
never killed anybody, right? And so even in a world with moral standards just being all over the place, there seems to be a general understanding that this is not uh, a little bit won't hurt command, right? Yeah, this, this, is not, this, is not one of, this is not one of those, right? I, I've never heard someone argue for their morality by saying, hey, I've never killed lots of people, right? Have, have you ever heard that? No, right? You know, so people might say it's just a little lie. I just stole a little bit, but I, a little murder is never something, it's not in people's vocabulary. We recognize the significance of this. Uh, so this is, I, I think this is the command we think that we keep, uh, but the heart of this command goes deeper than we think. So just so you know, my message today is not, hey, murder is bad, drive home safely, right? And come back next week for me to tell you that adultery is bad too. That's, that's not what we're doing. Um, we're, we're going back up to Mount Sinai where God's glory is just on full display. I, I don't want you to get that scene out of your minds because we do not have a weak God who's just making a couple suggestions for us to potentially consider. No, the Lord our God is in charge, sovereign over all. And we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 20 uh, to remind ourselves of what we've seen so far and then, and then uh, see our command for today. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. If you don't believe verse 2 is true, then the rest of these commands don't matter, right? If, if the Lord is not your God, then it doesn't really matter what he says to do, right? You can do what you want. But if the Lord is your God, and if just like he saved Israel, he has saved you, then what he says matters. So salvation precedes the law, not the other way around. But on the basis of their salvation, this is what he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Uh, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now here's the second set of commands. Pastor John covered this one last week. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord, your God, is giving you. I appreciate Pastor John giving us practical ways to follow that command in the different seasons of life whether it's obeying our parents when we are young or caring for our parents when they are old or listening to their wisdom in between. And then here's our command for today. Verse 13, you shall not murder. You shall not murder because it's bad, <laughs> right? Because it's bad. This command is even simpler in the, human lang in the Hebrew language than it is in our English Bibles because uh, this verse 13 is, is only two Hebrew words. Uh, translated uh, in our English, 
uh, to four words, you shall not murder. Uh, some translations that you have might say you shall not kill, uh, but uh, that isn't really a specific enough explanation of this Hebrew word. Uh, so this command is saying that you shall not kill unlawfully or unjustly. Uh, as one commentator said, this command is not instructing us to be vegetarian pacifists. Just, just that, that would change your dinner plans if, if it was just simply don't kill no matter what. That's, that's not what this is, is instructing us to do. That would be a different Hebrew word. This is saying do not kill unjustly or do not murder. Uh, so this command is not condemning instances of self-defense or maybe a just war and I'm sure there's a few scenarios that could be thought through, but here's the principle. Unjustly taking the life of another is clearly forbidden in God's word. Going all the way back, this is not new information, going all the way back to Genesis 4 with Cain taking the life of his brother Abel. And and when you think about that scenario, Genesis 4, (laughs) I wonder if Cain even knew that that is what would happen, right? Because it's never happened before. So Cain had, had probably seen animals killed, but never another human. But even still, he was, he was still held responsible for the unjust killing of his brother. Uh, and, and plenty of people question some of the morals put forward in God's word. But no one really seems to question this one. Do not murder. We, we agree, right? We agree. We're on the same plane. Yes, okay. And, and the revelation about our God that we should see from this command, because remember, God, God's commands are revealing his character. So, so what is the revelation about our God that we should see that sort of influences this command? It's this. God is the author of life. God is the author of life. And, again, and this is not a new revelation in Exodus 20. This is the revelation of the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning... God created, right? In the first five words of of God's revelation to us, we are told what lenses to wear when looking at creation. So so we don't just view creation, or we don't just view life through a biological lens, as Darwinism would tell us to. No, God's word wants us to view life through a theological lens, We view it through a theological lens. Genesis 1 says that all of this, right, everything that exists is all God's doing. God is the author of all of life. Uh, If you read Genesis 1, you'll see this rhythm to the creation account the first five days. At the beginning of each day, and God said, let there be light, let there be living creatures. At the end of each day, and God said, that it was good. So, so with our theological lenses on, if you're just reading the first chapter of the Bible, you're learning that our God is creative. You're learning that God's voice is powerful. You're learning that God, God you're learning about God's authority. We're learning what God sees as good. But then on the sixth day, that rhythm was interrupted because God was about cre- to create something unique from all other creation. So Then God said, let us, let us, which is the first evidence of a Trinitarian God, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over all 
other living things. That's Genesis 1.26. And so a theological lens says that we are not the same as the rest of creation. We are not just animals with more developed communication skills and finger dexterity. We are, we are made in the image of our maker. God breathed into man the breath of life. He didn't do that for lions and tigers and bears. We're, we're different. Human life is different from all other life. Every human being is an image bearer of God and has intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. Why? Because God says so. Because God says so. So our value is not determined by our social status or by our ethnicity or by our paycheck or by our physical appearance or by our gender or by our age. No, our value is determined by our creator. By our creator. No one is a mistake. Your presence on earth is not a random chance or an accident. No, God knit you together in your mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God is the author of all of life. And the Bible has a pretty simple principle. The author of life determines the length of our life. The author of of life gets to determine the length of our life. We don't decide when we come into the world. We don't have the right to decide when we leave. And as a general rule, we don't have the right to determine the length of someone else's life either. God's the author, not us. So the Bible presents the Lord our God as the God of life. He's the author of life. Should be simple, right? Should be so simple. We all agree. We get it. But sadly, there is a reason that this command is necessary. So here's the confrontation. What does this command confront within us? I would say it's this. We devalue life. We devalue life more than we think. Uh, When you read the Word of God, you will see, and, and, and when you read the Word of God and you see what it says about the value of life and the value of people created in the image of God, it should become immediately obvious that we don't live in a world that values the lives of people the way God's word tells us to. We agree on that? That that is not the world that we live in. And and the reason that something that should be so simple is so complicated is because of the brokenness of sin. Sin devalues life. That's what sin does. Case in point, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates all of life. Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Genesis 4, Cain murders Abel. And all of history, all of history, and even our present day, gives example after example of life not being valued the way the author of life intended. Uh, And so I, I, I can't preach through this passage without saying that we believe that abortion is in direct contradiction to the sixth commandment. It is the unjust taking of a life that God himself has authored. And and, and that is far from the only way that our world doesn't value life as they should. It it breaks my heart to see what's happening to children at the southern border. Have you been watching some of this? It's horrific. It's horrific what's happening, right? All these image bearers of God who are being trafficked. It's awful. It's awful. You look at what's happening in the Middle East, 
right? And you probably have to look away from your TV because it is awful. It is awful. All the innocent lives that are being lost. Why? Because we don't value life the way the author of life intended. And the reality is that we don't just devalue life through our actions. I believe that so much of the devaluing of life begins with the words that we use that, whether intentionally or unintentionally, dehumanize people. Obvious example. So it's not an unborn baby in a womb. It's just a clump of cells, right? Dehumanizing. But it hardly stops there. We label people with all sorts of polarized categories. You see this a lot in our political arena, right? We just put people in these boxes. This person's a liberal. This person's like a MAGA extremist. Or maybe it's a, it's a label based on your skin color or based on your age. Okay, boomer, right? Just, just throw you into a category to not listen to what you said. Our, our world puts people into these different tribes and if you aren't in the same tribe, you are the enemy, and you're not even worth talking to. Your, your opinion doesn't matter. You're not worth listening to at all. And we just write people off based on the label that has been assigned to them. And we don't even view them as a person, really a fellow image bearer. We view them based on the label that we have assigned to them. And one way or another, I bet all of you have experienced it in some way, haven't you? You've, exer- you've experienced being labeled in some way to totally totally devalue your opinion, devalue who you are as a person, and we hate it. We hate it. It's awful. And the media knows that outrage and hate and fear sells, and so they're constantly giving us another thing to be outraged about, and the polarization just gets worse. And one of the many reasons that followers of Jesus can't, we can't fall into this trap. We can't fall into this trap because of what Jesus says about the sixth commandment in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. I'm sure many of you knew that this passage was coming when you saw this today. Um, But in case any of us think we have this command in the bag because we would never even think about killing anyone, we have to look at what Jesus says. And and what he says is at the heart of this command to not murder. In Matthew chapter 5, this is verse 20, uh, and then we're going to go through 22. It's on the screen here. Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, had an external righteousness. They viewed the law of God as a means through which they could justify themselves. It was this checklist that they used to appear superior to other people. But Jesus is saying something that's absolutely shocking to his audience. The Pharisees' exterior righteousness was inadequate to gain entry into Jesus' kingdom. So the kingdom of God is not filled with people who achieve the highest external performance, but rather those who experience an internal transformation. God isn't looking for people who honor him with their lips when their hearts are far from him. And so if, if you want to get to the heart of the sixth commandment, it's so much more than, hey, I've never killed anybody, right? Look at what he says in verse 21. After saying, you need more than that external. You need more than that external righteousness. Look at verse 21. So you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. 
and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Because murder doesn't begin with an external action. It begins with an internal heart of anger and hate. And left unchecked, that anger leads to outbursts. Uh, Maybe with our words, as Jesus points to, or with our actions. And all of a sudden, this command that we thought was easy isn't so simple for any of us anymore. Because the question isn't just, have I ever killed anyone? No, the question is, has my heart devalued the lives of others through anger and hatred? Has my heart devalued the lives of others through anger and hatred? Uh, Pastor Ziaphat wrote, Jesus insists that it is not enough to not murder someone. We must eradicate hatred from our hearts. And, and, and I should clarify that the Bible does speak to being angry without sinning. But I think even that passage is instructive for us because that passage says it involves not letting the sun go down on our anger. So anger is not a fire that should be fed day after day. It's not a fire that should be fed day after day. It is a fire that should be quickly put out. So if turning on the news makes you angry, turn it off. It's amazing we can do that, isn't it? Turn it, turn it off. If going on social media is constantly infuriating, do something else. If driving in New Jersey just makes you angry, drive in Pennsylvania, you might be angrier. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Ride a bike. <laughs> we can't do it. So we, we have been incredibly influenced by our world into thinking that constant anger and outrage is normal. And it might be normal in this earthly kingdom that is passing away. But it is not normal in the kingdom of God. It is not normal in Jesus' kingdom. And if our allegiance belongs to Jesus, we won't take our cues from the 24-hour news cycle. We will take our cues from the word of God. Passages like Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, Here's the instruction, the new way of living that this command to not murder is calling us toward. We're not just running away from something, we're running toward something. Rather than murder, anger, and hatred, we are called to be a people who protect and promote life. We protect and we promote life. We want First Baptist Church to be a community of life because we serve the God of life. We want this to be a community where we believe and declare that God is the creator and the sustainer of life from the womb to the tomb. He's the author. He's in charge. And and there's almost endless applications to this. Almost endless, right? Uh, Maybe it's supporting or being involved in a local pregnancy center like Bright Hope. We love them. Uh, This is why we partner with Adult and Teen Challenge in New Jersey with Hoving Home, who are bringing hope to those who are trapped in addiction. We love working with River of Life. 
and, and supporting them in their food pantry and providing food for people in need that are in Phillipsburg. We're excited once again to partner with Norwest Cap uh, with our Angel Tree program for tr- Christmas. Uh, this is why I'm so thankful for those of you who have been caring for elderly parents. Man, I, I know it's exhausting, but I also know it's worth it. I know it's worth it. I'm so thankful for our deacons who care for the physical needs of people. They do so much behind the scenes that you guys don't see. It's amazing, especially in caring for some of our widows. Uh, This is why we pray for those that are sick and for those who are hurting. It's why we visit people who find themselves in the hospital. It's why we celebrate foster care and adoption. It's why we are kind and generous and forgiving. It's why we seek reconciliation whenever there's something between us because we want to be a community of life from the womb to the tomb. And, and in case we need this reminder, as we talk about valuing life, we're not talking about a political issue. We're talking about a gospel issue. Uh, life is far too valuable for us to just depend on wa- lawmakers in Washington to make wise decisions. I don't know about you, but I don't have much confidence in that, right? Regardless of which way the political pendulum swings next, this, this needs to be a community of faith where we value all of life because of the God that we worship, not because of political party that we might happen to associate with. So if there's going to be a movement that believes in the dignity, value, and worth of every human life, regardless of what label they've been given, if there's going to be a movement that believes in the dignity, value, and worth of every human life from the womb to the tomb, it has to be rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the only way that it will last. So laws might be able to temporarily alter the outward actions of people, but Jesus says that this command isn't just about the outward actions. It is about our hearts, and only the gospel can transform our hearts to value the lives of people the way that we should. So with all that said, let me, let me zoom out and make sure we see the big picture, because I know there's so many different places to get lost in the trees of this discussion. Like, there's so many places your mind can go, so many places my mind has gone this week. If you want to email me about one of them, that's great. Uh, But let me zoom out and give us a big picture. God's the author of life. And the life that he authored was completely good. But rather than trusting his design, we do things our own way, which is what the Bible calls sin. And with the entrance of sin into the world, death enters the world. And humanity perpetuates the death in our world because we don't value life as we should. Because outside of Christ, we are all sinners and sin devalues life. So, even though God gave his law to his people, the Israelites, and it is clear as day, do not murder. And you can go and read the rest of Mosaic Law and there's all sorts of examples of the, of the consequences for this taking place. And it gets into more specifics, but it is clear as day. And yet, even with that external law, we see people unjustly taking the lives of others, both in the Bible and present day, constantly. And, and even if we don't physically take the life of another, we have hearts that harbor anger and hatred towards others And all of that makes for a pretty discouraging sermon, wouldn't you say? (laughs) Maybe you've had a long week, and you were excited to come and be with this community of believers, and right now you're thinking, why did I come today? 
<laughs> and your laugh tells me I might be right. Okay. I want you to be encouraged by the new covenant promise that this old covenant command is pointing us towards. Because even though sinful humanity devalues life, even though in so many ways we live in a culture of death, and there's so many things that just drain the life out of us. Why, why in this world, why don't we give up on people or why don't we give up on life itself? It's because we believe a promise. And the promise is that the story isn't over. The author of life isn't done writing the story. As long as he is still putting breath in your lungs, I want you to know he's not done writing your story either. So God gave this command to Moses, knowing that his own people would break it over and over again. Israel's history is just a mountain of evidence that we need more than an external law. We need an internal transformation. But the story wasn't over because Jesus came into the brokenness of this world and he came to a world that didn't value the life that he had provided the way that they should. He came for those who were spiritually dead, that means separated from God. And he came not just so we could have life, but that we could have it abundantly. No, Jesus came so you could have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly, he came and claimed that he is where true life is found. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The Lord our God is the God of life. We see it over and over again in the Bible. He calls us to look to him and to live. He calls us to life. So naturally, sinful men put the author of life to death. Because that's how sinful we are. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He comes so we can have life and has it, have it abundantly, and they put him to death. On a terrible Friday, the one who claimed to be the source of life was dead. But in his death on the cross, Jesus was paying the price for our life-devaluing sin. He was taking the just punishment that we deserved on himself. And if his death was the end of the story, we would have no hope because our source of life would be dead. But the story wasn't over. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered sin and the grave because he's the God of life. The good news of the gospel is that no matter what you've done, no matter what sin and guilt and shame you bring with you to this place today, if you place your faith in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, if you just bring your nothing to Jesus and you say, I need you, I need you to be the king of my life, I need you to give me true life, all your sins will be forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus credited to your formerly guilty account. You can become part of the eternal family of God. One day, Jesus will return and establish his perfect kingdom forever. And until that day, we live in a world of death to call people to the life that can be found in Jesus. Why are we here? 
Why are, we, why are we in this culture? Why are we in this world? It's to call people to the life that is found in Jesus. Our, our message is simple. Life is available, right? There's life, there's hope, there's peace, there's joy, and it's not found in our circumstances. It is found in a personal relationship with the author of life itself. It's found in Jesus. So we value all of life because we value the one who authored it. We work to protect, promote, and preserve life because we are following the example of Jesus who came to save our lives. We don't harbor anger and hatred towards fellow image bearers because we recognize that murder begins within, not from without. We don't participate in the dehumanizing of people by just throwing them into a category. We don't write people off. We don't tell people, you will never change. We don't say that because we aren't the author of their story. We aren't the ones holding the pen. And as long as they have breath, their story isn't over. And your story isn't over. The author is still writing. One of my favorite modern-day innovations is uh, this wonderful thing called DVR. Anyone else love DVR as much as me? I doubt it, okay? Um, I love being able to start watching a sporting event about an hour or two after it starts, skipping all the commercials um, and all the other stuff, skipping halftime, all of it, and, and watching it in less than half of the time. I turn off my phone so no one can ruin the ending for me. It's wonderful. It's, it's great. Um, my, my kids have never known a world where they couldn't rewind TV, which is wild, right? Wild. That's, whew, what a concept. And, and if you enjoy the wonders of DVR um, and, and you ever wonder what we did before DVR, I can tell you what we did because I might be young, but I remember this. Um, we had to record things on VHS tapes. Anyone else do this? Okay. Um, I had to do this a lot because sporting events often conflicted with church events, and my family chose church events every single time. And so the biggest problem with that is that if, uh, if you're recording a sporting event, you don't know when it's going to be over. And so if the football game went longer than it was supposed to, sometimes the recording on that VHS tape would run out before the fourth quarter was done. And, and so I would get home from church, and I would start watching this game, and, and then we'd get to the fourth quarter, and my 12-year-old self would just be devastated <laughs> because this recording would stop. And there's seven minutes left, and I don't know what happened. Or the game goes into overtime, and all of a sudden it's done. And I'm like, no! What's the end of the story? What happened? It's not over yet. Uh, though Maybe you don't relate to that, but maybe you relate to this. Those of you who love reading, um, have you ever thought about how mad you would be if every book you ever read was missing the last chapter? For some of you, you wouldn't notice because you have a bunch of books on your shelf that are only half done, right? And you've already moved on to the next one. But for those of you who actually finish books, right, you would probably quit reading if you could never find out the end of the story. Murder, whether it is an outward action or a heart condition, is the ending of a story that has not been finished. It's not done being written. It is acting like we are the author 
instead of recognizing that God is the author of every life. And so I just want to leave you with this thought, that when we trust the author, we won't cut short the story. When we trust the author, we won't cut short the story. God is still working, even when we don't understand. So we don't write people off. We don't participate in the dehumanization of our culture. We don't try to take the pen and end the story ourselves. The way that we treat people and talk about people should demonstrate our belief that the story's not over yet. It's not done because God's not done. God is the author of life. Do we trust him? Do we trust him? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we are so thankful today that you are the one who is in charge and that we are not. (laughs) That you are the author of all of life. And so I pray that Jesus would transform our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit to value life the way that you say it should be valued. I pray that we would not be guilty of just writing people off, of thinking they'll never change, of just putting them into dehumanizing categories. But I pray that our lives would demonstrate that we believe that every life has dignity, value, and worth because you are the author and you say so. You say so. Thank you for the everlasting love of God that never fails. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.